Amen. What, what an awesome morning. You can grab a seat. What a great uh, start to the morning already. And so good to gather here with you. If you don't know me, my name is Dean. It's great to gather with you uh, around the name of Jesus like that today. It's, uh, it's great to have you here. We're in a, a series right now called And They. And all this month we've been uh, reflecting on our own story as a church. What God is doing through us here at True North this time and place in human history. And, and as we reflect on that, where God's taking us and what he's up to through us, we've been looking back at the book of Acts, looking at the kind of origin stories of the early church, knowing this is our history, this is who the church is called to be, and going, you know, what does this mean for us and how we live this out today? We've seen some amazing stories. I hope you maybe had a chance as well just read through the book of Acts once or twice during this series. A great thing to do. And, uh, and if you're new to church, this is a great time to be here because you'll get a sense of what the church is actually kind of all about, some of what we're, we're called to be. And today what we're going to talk about is uh, how do we join this story? Uh, and some of you, you have seen there's a, a booklet, and if you haven't got one yet, you can get it outside, but I think they're on your chairs. And it talks about joining history, joining his story. Uh, the history really is the story that God is, is writing. It's the story of how he's uh, allowing everyone to to come to know the name of Jesus as Lord and King. It's the story of his kingdom coming on earth as is in heaven. And he's chosen to work through his church over the centuries. And, and from this little tiny beginning of just, you know, a handful of people in an upper room in Jerusalem, this movement of following Jesus is extended outward from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and then to the ends of the earth, coming all the way right here to where we are today. And... The cool thing is, in that whole story, all of us are invited to play a part, to join history. We're going to talk about how do we join in to that story. How do we get to be a part of it? Now, we all have kind of cool, whenever I see also as well, I just can't help myself. Whenever I see the history thing as well, I think of, uh, anyone familiar with a certain uh, Greatest Hits album by Michael Jackson? Uh, history, does anybody remember that album that, and they see it? Uh, now, I, it, it always, it kind of reminds me of that. And I don't know if you know this, but... Uh, I have something of a connection with Michael Jackson, actually, and I don't, I, I don't want to play it up too much. I don't want to say we were friends. It's not, quite, it's not quite that or anything. But, in fact, my dad was on stage with Michael Jackson. And that's true. Yeah, yeah. He's an unbelievable dancer. Anyway, um, no. The, it really is true, though. I'm not making it up. My dad was on stage with, with Michael Jackson at Madison Square Garden. Now, this story... Uh, he, when it was back in the 70s, Michael Jackson was still part of the Jackson 5. He was touring around, was playing Madison Square Garden. My dad at that time lived just outside New York City, and he uh, used to look after boys from an orphanage. And so he would uh, look after them, and on that particular night, he was taking these kids to go see Michael Jackson and, and some other Motown hits at Madison Square Garden. Now, while they're watching it, one of the little boys was so excited that Michael Jackson was there, he decided to run up on stage with Michael Jackson. <laughs> And so my dad had to run up and get the kid off stage with Michael Jackson. Security not being exactly what it was today, it took a few moments, and that's how my dad got to be on stage with Michael Jackson. <laughs> now those are, those are kind of cool moments, and we've all probably got some moments in our lives. We go, it was kind of like I was there, I was a part of like a, you know, sort of, it was history, you know, you kind of, all kinds of things give rise to that, but, you know, this this, what we're going to look at today is how do we actually join kind of some, some true kind of history-making moments where we have stories as well that we're able to look back and go, man, I was there. I was a part of that. 
You know, I, I was, yeah, it was incredible. You should hear the story of what it was like in those days. And we're invited to such an incredible story as, as part of what God is doing over the centuries through his church. So we're going to look at a, a story where, where some people got to join in, in in lots of ways for kind of the first time in the early church. Here's the story we're going to look at. It comes from Acts chapter 6. And it starts like this. It says, in those days when the number of disciples was increasing. So... Uh, if you remember as well, this started with just a handful of people in an upper room. Uh, more people are starting to join this following of Jesus. It's, it's increasing. It's growing. At this point, we're now up to thousands in Jerusalem who are now following Jesus as Lord. Uh, and so it says in those days when the number of disciples was increasing. Let me hear you say increasing. The Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So we're going to pause here for a minute. So we're in this time and in this moment where the, ch the church is growing. At this point, it's still just called the disciples of Jesus because at this point in history, it's still kind of just seen as uh, kind of this new sect growing up around this uh, Jewish rabbi, Jesus. And, uh, and, and it's growing, but it's increasing. More people are starting to follow Jesus and say, no, he's not just a rabbi. He's Lord. He's Savior. He's risen. Uh, and, and so it's increasing. It's growing. And one of the things that starts to happen is now within this movement, though, of people who are all following Jesus, there are kind of these two different groups, these two different camps that are highlighted here. One is the Hellenistic Jews. The Hellenistic Jews were uh, Jewish people, but they'd adopted kind of the, the, the Greco-Roman, the Greek customs, the language and, and things of that culture. They're still Jewish, but they were using the texts in uh, Greek instead of the original Aramaic and Hebrew, in Hebrew. So this was the Hellenistic Jews. Then there were also the Hebraic Jews. Now, these were Jewish people, but they were sticking with kind of the old customs and the language and the culture. And so they were reading scriptures in Aramaic and Hebrew and all these things. So you kind of got, you know, these, they're all kind of part of the one family, but there's a little bit of distinction between them because of how they approach things. And they say that what's happening is uh, the, the, the Hellenistic Jews sort of feel like our widows are being overlooked. Here's, here's what's going on here. You have what is one of the uh, always common challenges of, of momentum, of growth, of what happens when things begin to move forward. We're in a season uh, called Momentum and it, it, that over this past year, and we're moving towards the end of that particular focus at the end of this month. Uh, and momentum is always about kind of growth. Things are moving. Things are going. What's been happening there is it says everything's increasing. And what can often happen when things are increasing it's exactly what starts to happen in here, that some people or some things start to feel overlooked. And so what's happened is you kind of got these two groups, and, the, and the, the, the Greek Jewish people are like, look, we've set up this food distribution. So the, the early church, they're like, look, one of our callings is to look after people who need uh, care, who need support. Widows are some of the most vulnerable. Let's set up food. We'll make sure that all the widows kind of in this movement, that we get food to them every day and make sure they're looked after. But the Greek people, uh, the Greek Jewish people feel like, I feel like our widows are getting overlooked. I feel like they're not getting taken care of. I feel like they're missing out on the food. Now, whether this was really happening, whether it was intentional, whether it was unintentional, it's kind of hard to even grab hold of from this. But at any rate, that is definitely how they felt. One of the challenges of momentum is that when things grow and increase, uh, it can become... Uh, easy to, to feel like certain things are, are being overlooked. Sometimes when things grow and increase, uh, it can be easy for uh, kind of seeds of division to set in. 
uh, where there was a distinction between these two groups, but it's starting to look like, oh, is this going to become a source of division where one will feel like, oh, they're getting all the, the best stuff, we're, we're not being looked after? Now, here's why we have to wrestle with, with these challenges, because God's vision for his church is always that word we read and, and said together a few moments ago. His vision is always increasing. And that doesn't always make people happy. People sometimes have different feelings about the idea of increasing. But you have to know this. God never looks down and says, enough people have heard about my love. God never looks down and says, enough people have gotten to experience my grace. God never expects us to go, I'm so glad that I found Christ, and I'm so glad that I can now hold on to this. God always has written into the very DNA of his church, increasing. That's why Jesus said from the very get-go, you're going to start here, but you're going to go from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria. You're going to go to the very ends of the earth. This, this movement I'm starting is never stopping because God's plan is, is to restore all things. We pray for his kingdom to come. His, his will to be done on earth is in heaven. We, we never stop moving towards that vision. Now, so we have to wrap our minds around this. Here we are as a church today. We have to realize this is God's vision for us. Uh, we can't think that, you know, God would ever, that, that we should sort of kind of go, no, no, that's enough, or we stop. We have to wrestle with the fact that God is always calling us to increase. He's calling us to go forward. He's calling us to take it onward. How we do that, I know there's all kinds of, that can be debated all we want. What are the best ways of this? But the bottom line is we must always be committed to seeing increase of the kingdom of God, increase in his church, increase in the amount of people who get to know and experience the good news of God's grace and Jesus Christ. But with that come challenges. With that come, hey, wait a second. I feel like we're missing something over here. With increase, with growth comes, but it feels like we're missing uh, something over here. Or, hey, hey, we're not being looked after. Or what about those are challenges that come with growth. And this comes uh, kind of the first moment. This is kind of a hinge moment, this story. Because it's as like thousands beginning added, increasing is taking place. And this is one of the first moments that it's like, wait a second, this, there's, there's kind of a little bit of a conflict that's rising up. There's a little bit of what feels like hey, maybe this will be a barrier or a, a, something that could stop or hinder the continued increase. And so we're going to watch how they handle this particular moment because it says a lot for us if we're to continue going forward. It says, so the 12 gathered. Now um, imagine this. They're really, you know, there are literally now, we know even from Acts chapter 4, it was already up to 5,000 followers of Christ. But fundamentally, so we're into the thousands of people now a part of this movement of following Jesus. But fundamentally, everything is still being led by the 12. So it started with only kind of the 12. Now we're up to thousands, and it's still all kind of everything runs through, kind of how everything operates. And you can understand why, because you'd be like, Hey, if we got a problem or something needs to happen, we should probably talk to the 12. They were with Jesus for three years. They went through the best training anyone could ever have. So it probably makes sense to just go, let's make sure they, they kind of stay in charge of stuff. So they gathered the 12. They gathered all the disciples, this wider body that was growing, and said, look, it wouldn't be right for us. They're trying to figure out how do we deal with this? How do we deal with the fact that we're, we do seem to be missing something? Someone's feeling overlooked. How do we deal with that? And no, there's all kinds of things that we're supposed to be committed to. And they say, look, it wouldn't be right for us, the 12, to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, here's what we'll do. Choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. 
We'll turn this responsibility over to them, and we'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. Now, this moment, what they basically say is, look, we, we're, this is the first time they're kind of presented with this kind of challenge. We're supposed to be focused on the word and on prayer. We're also supposed to be focused on caring for the poor and the marginalized. How will we be able to fulfill all God has called us to do? That's the fundamental question that's happening in many ways for the very first time for the early church. And their solution, what they say is, look, we, we are, the, the 12 disciples, they're like, we must focus on prayer and the word of God. Like, that's, that's what, like, we want to do, we, we know this is important, it's critical, but it's important that we do this. And so here's what we're going to do. And they're like, we shouldn't, like, stop doing that so that we can, it sounds harsh to our ear, wait on tables, but the point isn't that they're disparaging. They're trying to say, how do we do both things which matter? And they say, here's what we'll do is we're going to, we'll do this. And then we need to choose seven men who are known to be full of the Spirit. Let me just say full of the Spirit. And yeah, the second one's a harder question. Some of you didn't get it because I didn't tell you what to say, but some did. And so you get a gold star today. And um, so we'll put that in your file. And uh, just kidding. There's no files. It's got time for that. Anyway, um, so you say, look we got to find seven people, and not just anybody, but certain kind of people. And what they're essentially doing is they are expanding the scope of leadership in the early church. And this is something that has to happen if increase is going to continue. We talk about in our, if you have the booklet you read, one of our big priorities over the next three to five years. We talk about, you know, if we're going to be a church that experiences renewal and that continues to go forward and to do all that God has called us to do, one of our key priorities, we call it our leadership pipeline, it's just our shorthand way of saying we will only go forward as we are able to continually increase our scope of leadership, of people who are willing to take leadership within the church that Jesus is building. Now, some of you right now just went, Oh, talking about leadership, I'm so glad because I am not a leader, and so now I can actually tune out the rest of the day, and I'll just focus on uh, silently praying about something else. And here's the thing. What, what I want you to get is, is a picture of what leadership is all about and what, what, it, what the, the core and the essence of what leadership is, how, how we see it function in the church. It's very different than how it functions in the world in many ways. We see that first, the essence of leadership is about two things. It's about first, character, what kind of person you are. And it's about secondly, responsibility. Now, character is so critical. It says, look, we can only turn this over to a certain kind of person. And they need to be people who are known. Everybody knows them. They don't act like this sometimes. They are known to be. This is their character. It's what they're like. That they are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. People who are able to assume responsibility or take responsibility or be a part, uh, uh, you know, leading, if you will, in the movement of the kingdom of God. The most critical first component is, to be, is your character and to be known as a person who is full of the spirit and full of wisdom. You know, the whole idea of, of wisdom here is not just like, yeah, they're, they're wise, uh, like they've accumulated a lot of knowledge, maybe had some good positions, maybe they've, you know, you know, organized other large-scale distribution, you know, things in the past, so they've accumulated wisdom. It's the idea of like this kind of godly wisdom that flows out of being full of the Spirit. 
This is the kind of people that they say, now, now think about this for a moment, because if we were like, look, we got to do something pretty practical here. We just need to get like some certain food to certain people. It's not overly spiritual, if you will. It feels like kind of just intensely practical. And we got to figure out who could do it. You know, the temptation might be to be just go, who's good logistically? Who's, you know, who's like got a lot of kids in their family, and so they've worked out how to distribute food to a lot of people on a regular basis, and they seem to get it right every time. You know, this is, that's how we might approach it, but they go, no, no, no. What moves the body forward, what moves the church forward, what moves the whole mission of Christ forward is not people who've got some good earthly practical skills. What moves it forward is people who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. Because when you're full of the spirit, you, you've got, there is something different about your character, different about who you are. You're walking in God's spirit. You're, you're walking according to the pathways that he wants for you. And, and, and as you kind of go to the right or the left, you listen to correction. You move and you keep on going with him. And you begin to experience and, you know, demonstrate the fruit of the spirit in your life. And people around you just go, you know what, there's just, the, the spirit is just at work through him. You know, that's to be full of the spirit. And, and it's almost like this wisdom just flows out that's not like, man, they're just smart or clever. It's this divine wisdom because they're so full of spirit. It's like you, when you're full of spirit, you actually you are hearing from God and listening to him. And so, of course, there's a, a wisdom that flows out. You have access to all the wisdom of heaven that God is now bringing through you. That's a certain kind of person. And that choosing to pursue becoming that kind of person is the, is the foundation of becoming someone who's able to be a, a, a leader, if you will, in the kingdom of God. And the second piece that comes alongside this is not only that you choose to be a person who's seeking after the presence of God, wanting to walk with God, to be full of the Spirit, but that you're willing to take responsibility. Leadership is ultimately, and one of the reasons sometimes people balk at the idea of leadership or think I'm not a leader or think I'm not sure how I feel even when I hear that word is because they have a, a picture of what leadership is and maybe they think leadership is about privilege. But leadership is not about privilege, it's about responsibility. To be, uh, uh, what, what we see happen here is they say to them, we're going to turn this responsibility over to them. This must be done. Someone has to be responsible for it. We will give this responsibility to these people. That's the essence of leadership. Godly people taking responsibility for the mission. You know, the, I, I want to talk about this idea of responsibility for a moment because I think, I think this, and, it, and if you, uh, you know, take almost nothing else away from this today, I will tell you this. I think one of the things God wants to speak to us about as a church, if you're part of the they here and want to be part of the story, one of the things that he wants to speak to us about is actually responsibility. Now, responsibility is not like a super fun word, is it? You know, you don't like kind of flick through, you know, your feed online, you're like hashtag responsibility everywhere. You know, people are living it up, living it up, hashtag responsibility, you know. Trending now, responsibility, everybody's on that. It's just awesome. Responsibility is like almost the antithesis value to what our culture values. Our culture values uh, rights. What are my rights? Uh, we just became uh, citizens a couple months back, and when you're doing the citizenship test, some of you have taken that, you have to learn about when you become an Australian citizen, your rights and your responsibilities. 
And, and there are certain things that you are, you know, that, that are rights, they're privileges that come with being a, a citizen of Australia. But there are also responsibilities. Do you know what your responsibilities are? You have four of them. Are you doing them? And yet you got let in super easy, didn't you? No idea what you're supposed to be doing. Look it up. But we all gravitate. We all are like, man, when I, this is our, our whole kind of world and culture is set up to go, how do I make me happy? What are my rights? What are my privileges? But the essence of what we see in the leadership and the kind of leadership that moves the kingdom forward, that moves the church forward, that moves the mission forward is a willingness to take responsibility. You know, here's a, a picture when I think of, you know, actually what this looks like in action. I got a picture of somebody. We'll, we'll put it up here for you. Does anyone know who this is? Walt Disney. That, you know, many of you look at the photo and not even recognize him. Everybody in the room knows his name. You know, I was speaking to our youth on Friday night, and I put it up, and they guessed that it was me. <laughs> and I was deeply, uh, deeply offended. And they thought the 90s was a black and white era. You know, just, anyway, I'm still getting over the sting. But, um, you know, I love this picture because, you know, Walt Disney, here's a guy literally Everybody in this room knows his name, and, and he's associated with all, There are volumes that have been written about his approach to leadership and visionary leadership and, and how he created all he did. He left an impact and a mark and a legacy with his life, and, I mean, this is a picture of him. He's at Disneyland. He has an entire land that bears his name. I mean, you could not get kind of too much kind of seemingly higher position or place in, in kind of the structures of this world than he aspired to as a leader, and yet... He did not see that as, therefore, he was, has a life full of privilege, but rather he saw responsibility. One of his visions for Disneyland was that it would always be perfectly clean so that when you were there, the, the kind of sense of story that you've entered into would not be broken by now this kind of rubbish and, and litter that reminds you of how, you know, kind of the world outside Disneyland functions. But that it would always be perfectly clean so that you just experience sort of that, you know, the, the joy of this place and the story that he was inviting people. Now, and so that was something that he, that he desired. It was part of the vision. It was part of the dream. And yet he doesn't approach that by saying, you know, where's the, where's the kid I'm paying minimum wage, you know, to come pick this up? You know, I'm, I'm Walt Disney. Like, my name is, is up there. Surely I'm beyond the point of having to pick up the rubbish. No. He says, this is where we're trying to go. I'm responsible. And when I see something that could be a hindrance to reaching towards his particular vision, he says, I'm responsible. That's the essence of it. That's what these seven guys did. This is, this is, you know, for every person who's ever thought, no, 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 leader, it's for somebody else. No, it's not for me. You can stick whatever name on it you want, but the ultimate thing, what, what God needs for his church to go forward, because for whatever reason, God has chosen to partner with human beings in the establishment of his kingdom on earth is in heaven. And so what he needs are people who are willing to pursue his presence, to walk full of his spirit and say, I will take responsibility. When I see something that, that, that is being overlooked, these widows are being overlooked. I am willing to take responsibility. And when God's church is full of people like that, imagine what can happen. 
I mean, this was the first time till this point in history is always just the 12, the 12. They'll sort it all out. And for the first time, they come to realize, wait a second, this mission isn't something that can be done by 12. It's much bigger. And this begins the increase and spread of leader that continues to increase and grow and grow and widen and widen. And it's part of why this movement didn't stop in one city, but rather went throughout the entirety of planet Earth. Because more people were willing to say, I will take responsibility. Even something as practical as just making sure food gets to the right people on the right days. Now, here's the amazing thing about this and why I think this, this story is so beautiful and instructive for us as we think about, you know, how God wants to work through us is watch the outcome of, of what takes place here. It says this proposal, it pleased the whole group. Now let's, let's imagine that. He come and they're like, here's what we're going to do. We're going to get seven. They're going to look after it. We'll keep doing the word and prayer. It pleased the whole group. Give a big cheer. I mean, imagine that moment. Like everybody's pleased. Let me, let me hear you. Imagine you're pleased. Yeah, like, oh, look at this. You're pleased. That's good. I mean, I, I, I can't imagine how good of leaders they were. Even when I ask you to be pleased, we can't get, <laughs> just get it's like, I just read that verse. And I'm like, it pleased the whole group. Are you kidding me? The whole group, like nobody had nothing, no email. No, I'm just kidding. Just, anyway, just, just kidding. So it pleased the whole group. But imagine that. Everybody is actually stoked. A moment that could have looked like it was going to give rise to possibly a bit of division or schism or something. Instead, they go, here's what we'll do. We're going to make sure that different people are responsible for different things and no one gets overlooked and everybody's stoked. It pleased the whole group. Like that. It was just like that. I mean, what a day. And so they chose, they picked their seven. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. You see how they swapped the faith and wisdom there. It gives you a sense of what they're talking about here. Also, Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. And they presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. And then verse 7, we're going to go to verse 7, and it says, and here's what happens. The word of God spread. And the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. Now, let me hear you say rapidly. rapidly. And a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Now I want you to catch this picture because this is what we see. He, you, what's the outcome of all of this? What happens when seven people full, are, are willing, people of character, people who, who walk with God are willing to say, we will take the responsibility. It goes from something that was increasing to something that's now increasing rapidly. And not only that, a large number of priests. You know who the priests are? They are the hardest of the hard to reach. These were people whose whole lives have been devoted and dedicated to a certain understanding of who God is and of the, of the you know, Jewish laws and covenants and, and, and everything. And so their whole life, these were the hardest. If anybody was not going to start following Jesus, this is the most likely group. And, and, and just to wrap your mind around this, that somehow this text wants us to understand by seven people being willing to take responsibility for distributing food, the outcome is that the word of God spreads rapidly. Followers of Jesus increases rapidly. Even the hardest of the hard are being reached for Christ. And one of the Things we come to realize is that the way you join this story that God is writing, the way you join in on this story, 
is simply by choosing to be a person who says, I will make the pursuit and direction of my life to desire to walk full of God's spirit and to take responsibility for the work of his kingdom on earth. To take responsibility for seeing the mission go forward. Take responsibility for seeing the church go forward. I'm going to make that my responsibility. Not my privilege, not my right, not my, you know, what, what, what has God done all this so that he can bring something. No, no, no. I make it my responsibility to see the good news go forward. No matter how practical that task might even seem to be. You know, I love where you see uh, the seven names of the men written who stepped up in this moment who are willing to take that responsibility, you know, Stephen, Philip, Nicanor, you know, all these names that are listed, and you're like, those guys and their willingness to, to say, we will take responsibility, they joined the story and wrote their names into history. They became known as the seven. They, they had a, there's this, just these guys, they made history. They were there. They were part of it. And do you know something for you and for me? I believe the same invitation goes out, that God is always looking and searching for people who are willing to say, Lord, I want to walk full of you, and I'm willing to take responsibility for your work in this world. Can I ask you something? What would your, if you were to imagine, because I think one of the things that God would want to do in our church at this time and this year and this moment is that he would, he would call us and invite us and invite people all across this room and across our church to go, you know what, I want to make a shift in me where I'm willing to take responsibility. In a world that, that pushes us completely counter to resp from responsibility, that pushes us towards rights, that pushes us toward privilege, pushes us towards what is this for me, that, you, that we turn that on its head and say in the kingdom, it functions the total opposite way. And, if, and, and, and what that requires is always these two things, these simple two things. One, primary focus in life, seeking to walk full of the Spirit. I want to know God. I want to know him first. Take my instructions from him. If you try to take responsibility without having that as your foundation, you'll end up bitter. You'll end up frustrated. You won't really be able to accomplish the thing God wants. Number one is always I want to walk with him. And as I do that, I'm growing my responsibility all around me to see the kingdom go forward. Do you know, what, what, can I ask you this one question? What would your next step be in, in living that kind of story? You know, maybe I, I can tell you for all of us, the first step is always the same. No matter how long we've walked with God, no matter how much we've, we've grown to know him and his presence in our lives and his spirit, the first step is always, God, I want more. I want to know more of you and more of you because we never exhaust God. So first step is always, Lord, I want to walk more full of you in my life. I want to know more uh, of, of your presence. I want to know more what you have for me. That's step one. And then step two, what would your second step be? What would your next step be in taking responsibility? Maybe it's taking responsibility. Just, you know, maybe it's actually just taking responsibility to say, you know what? I'm, I'm going to be responsible for my own spiritual growth. I'm going to take responsibility. You know, you, you, you kind of, maybe you're new and you're fresh to following Christ. You know, no one's asking you to suddenly take responsibility for a whole canvas, but to actually go, I'm going to take responsibility that I'm going to, I'm going to be diligent in my pursuit of God. I'm going to be diligent in gathering for worship. I'm going to take responsibility. When all of us begin with ourselves, taking responsibility for ourselves first, and then we begin to increase that as well as we go. 
you know, and taking responsibility and going, you know what, I'm going to, if you got kids, I'm taking it, I'm, it's my responsibility, I'm going to make sure that they come to know Christ and love him as much as I do. I'm, that's no one else's responsibility, that's my responsibility. And knowing as well, then you, when, you, when you're in workplaces or wherever you are, that you just kind of go, you know what, it's my responsibility to, to incarnate the kingdom of God wherever I find myself. And it's my responsibility. To, and then, then as, you, as you come into church and you're part of a community, you go, you know what? Actually, I want to make sure that I'm taking responsibility for what happens here. I never look at something and think, geez, I wish somebody would take care of that. You make it your responsibility. Imagine a church like that. That is a church that, can, that doesn't kind of hit a certain point and it turns to kind of, well, this or that's not happening. Or why haven't you done this or that? That's the kind of church that increases rapidly. That's the kind of place where the word of God spreads as every person makes it their mission to walk full of his spirit and to take responsibility for wherever God has placed them. It's an amazing story. I believe God is writing an incredible story at True North. We're seeing him do amazing things. We're seeing an increase, but I am confident of this. That as more and more of us actually say, you know what? I'm willing to take responsibility. We are going to see increase that, that goes far beyond what we have yet seen. The challenge and the lid and the barrier is always, are there people who say to God, here I am. Here I am. I want to walk full of you, and I'm making it my responsibility to see your work go forward in this world. And when we say yes, Oh, we're writing our name into history. We are a part of the history of what he's doing. It's an amazing thing. I want to pray for us today. I'm going to invite you to stand where you are. And I want to pray. Uh, and I want to give you an opportunity, a moment today, that if there's something God's stirring in your heart that you think, you know, I, I don't know exactly what it'll look like, but Lord, I know I'm up for that shift. I know I'm up for saying, I, I, I don't want to think about what for me, but I want to I shift towards responsibility. I want to join the story. I want to I say, Lord, just I want to reaffirm to you, Lord, I want to walk full of your spirit. I want to be open to what you have for me. Then I'd love to just pray for you today. You know, I think every bit of joining the story, it starts with a mindset shift. It starts with a heart shift. It starts with a redirection towards knowing him first and being willing to, to make this shift. So I want to pray for you today. Will you just bow your heads where you are? And if today especially you just, you know there's a part of you that just goes, Lord, I want that. I want that. I want to make that shift in my life. You know, maybe it's just saying, Lord, I know this. I want more of your spirit. And I don't want to miss a moment to kind of tell you, Lord, that I know I want more of you in my life. I want to walk more full of you. I want to listen to the things you have for me. I want to just walk in, in everything you got for me, Lord. I'm just, I'm surrendering. I'm saying, Lord, I want more of you. And then, and alongside that, to put alongside that to say, and Lord, as I do that, out of that fullness and out of that overflow, would you give me eyes to see where you're calling me to be responsible? to take responsibility, to be willing to, to take responsibility for whatever would stand in the way of seeing your work go forward and the small things and the big things, but to see myself as someone who is responsible 
for the work of the kingdom. Lord, I want in. I want to join the story. I want to be part of history. It doesn't matter how seemingly practical it might feel. Lord, I want to be part of it. And if that's you today, if both those things resonate in your own life, I'd encourage you just to lift your hand up and just to hold it up for a moment because I want to pray especially for you. And God never kind of forces things onto us, but he looks for people who are saying, Lord, I want that, and I'd love to just pray for you if you know. I want that today. I'm going to pray especially for you. And just hold it up because it's just a way of, it's like putting your hand up to God just saying, Lord, pick me. Here I am. Pick me. Lord, I thank you for every person with their hand just raised to you saying, Lord, I want this. I want to walk more full of your spirit. I want to know more of your presence in my life. I want to just keep in step. Lord, I asked it today. You would pour something fresh into them. You'd release a little bit more. Lord, that maybe there's some, some fresh chambers you want to fill up. Maybe there's some spaces that were clogged with something else and you want to kind of move it out and allow more of you in their life. I pray for just, Lord, a, a fresh kind of sense of fullness. I pray for greater ears that can hear your voice, that can hear your leading. I pray they just know a deeper abiding sense of your presence and God, that it would produce joy and peace and love and gentleness and so much goodness in their lives. And that, Lord, it just be so evident to the people who are around them to be known as that kind of person. And we can't do that on our own, Lord. And so I ask that the power of your Holy Spirit would be doing it in their heart, in their life, even now. Even now. And Lord, I pray that you would give them fresh eyes to see what it looks like to, to take responsibility. To be someone who owns the mission. Your mission in this world. I pray you give them fresh ears to hear. I pray you'd help them to, to have moments when they realize, you know what, hey, I can, I can do that. I can take that. And, the, and, and all that God's given me, I can be a part of that. And I pray that you would use every small step and effort to see your word and its spread increase rapidly. Go places it's never gone. Reach people we would have never thought could be reached. As men and women of faith, take responsibility for your mission. And Lord, I pray that you would pour it out in a fresh way across your church, that we would, we would be known as a place where it's like, man, those people, they really own it. They really own the mission. They're really passionate to know God, and man, they own it. And that, Lord, we could be a part of some really incredible stories. Stories that, that we retell one day with tears of joy in our lives for all we've seen you do. I pray you do it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. amen.